welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. I am great. I'm feeling spooky today. Excellent. Well, it is. It is the season for the spooky feeling, so it makes sense. It is the day. The day. And I'm broadcasting live from Salem, Massachusetts. Ooh. <laughs> and I'm in Atlanta. Right? <laughs> Which is not... It can be scary. <laughs> it, can be, it can be scary. But in a fun way. It is. It is. Yeah. Also, the way you said that was just kind of really funny, too. It's like, I'm Liesl. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. what I meant to do. Of course. Of course. And I like bringing in random sound of music things uh, to start off the show. So, so That's literally one of my favorite things. You see what I did there? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, since we're talking a little bit about Halloween things. Yes. I remember back in elementary school, my music teacher would actually sing that song during the Halloween season. So I grew up thinking it was a Halloween type of song. Is that what? just like an Indiana thing? It maybe was. I yeah. think that's just a your teacher thing. It could be. She like I remember this distinctly that she would keep singing that and only at Halloween. And then it wasn't years later until I realized it was with the sound of music and not a scary Halloween like those skeletons dancing type of song. Wow. I actually feel like the story, the real story ends with her being a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Like it wasn't until years later that I realized she had been dead for 40 years. There actually was no music teacher in Indiana. (laughs) They eliminated that program because there was no Indiana. The twists just keep getting spookier. They totally do. <laughs> so I want to start off by asking you about your podcast because you've been doing that for a while now, for uh, at least a month since the last time we chatted. How is that going? Yeah, it is uh, so much fun. So I am host of the Cultured Podcast, and it's a podcast all about arts and culture. And that means every topic surrounding arts and culture, including visual art, sculpture, performing arts, design, literature. And I do actually cover some food topics like episode 11 was about is about herbalism and the culture of herbalism because it's such an ancient practice and so many cultures are uh, revolve around it. So it's a really interesting look at all those different topics and in a very unpretentious way, if you can already tell, I am far from elitist. <laughs> I can and, and everybody uh, appreciates that. Yes, I agree with you. And I think a lot of people that I talked to about the podcast, especially when it was when I hadn't released it yet, 
would tell me like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'm just like not really in the art world or I'm not like super in uh in the know about art. And I'm like, you're the perfect audience for the podcast because it's about people who are interested in those topics, but who in the past maybe felt a barrier of entry because those can be those can feel like intimidating worlds where if you don't if you're not intimately involved in them, then you feel judged, which is such a shame. Uh, so this podcast is a way for people to get to know all these different topics surrounding arts and culture in a really relaxed, digestible environment. Every episode features a guest interview, and my guest is usually this like really fun, gregarious creator or artist who specializes in whatever topic we're covering. Mm-hmm. So you get to hear from these people their own experiences in a really relaxed, conversive <laughs> is that a is that a word? <laughs> I think it totally is. Uh, sure. Conversational maybe is better. <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> Spooky. That's what it is. <laughs> I think it's it's the, the Halloween season that uh, has changed things around a bit. Ghosts are in my brain. Definitely are. <laughs> so this podcast clearly has not been the very first thing you've ever done. What planted the the seeds and the idea to for you to get into a, a music and artistic career and and where did the idea for this podcast originally come from that's a really good question you know i put in in my different bios that i basically popped out of the womb singing show tunes and that's only a slight exaggeration because i really uh, i was called hurricane michelle was kind of my <laughs> very charming nickname by my family Because I popped out and pretty much as soon as I could walk and make sounds was like running around the house singing and acting and performing for no one slash people who didn't want me to perform. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, my mom tried to put me in all these different activities to like mitigate my energy or put it into different places. And what really stuck with me was theater. So I've been doing theater or was doing theater since I was maybe eight years old. And then I moved into conservatories, which are intensive programs for the arts. So theater conservatories and went to a performing arts high school where I did theater as well. So I sang and I did theater and (laughs) I mimed, you know, like normal, normal teen activities. Everybody Um, does that in high school. You know, like, I know I'm boring you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) We we studied Marseille Marceau, which like whatever, that's like everyone's experience. So Mm -hmm. um, I eventually I've also been writing my whole life. And so I was really drawn to this idea of telling stories and and what that meant to me was either through the written word or on stage as a character in a situation and so um that eventually morphed into a career that was much heavier into writing i left theater when i was in high school and just focused on that well uh as a writer as time has moved on word counts keep getting cut down and down and down And my last job was as a magazine editor. So I was a magazine editor for Where Atlanta and Where Nashville, which are travel publications in those respective cities. And I would find all of these incredible stories. And I was just naturally drawn to stories about arts and culture. And 
I would feel so much pain having to cut words and having to cut pieces of the story or cut people out of the stories. And so I was just kind of simmering with a friend of mine who's also a writer. and We were just exchanging sob stories about how, how sad we were about cutting words out of our stories. And so we were like, okay, in this age of multimedia, what can we do? And that's when the idea of a podcast popped into both of our heads. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to do a podcast about arts and culture uh, because I can talk forever and a day. And these stories, I, I can also listen to people, artists and creators talk all day, every day. And so the idea was born. And I think that there really isn't a podcast like the cultured podcast out there. There are a lot of beautiful arts podcasts that are much more niche and um, or there are broader podcasts that don't focus as much as they should or as much as they want to on arts and culture. Mm -hmm. And so this is a nice in between where people can find it's very focused on arts and culture, but it's broadly focused on it. So every topic within that broad umbrella is covered. Well, that's great. It's kind of like a, a nice um, introduction with each without getting too deep in the weeds. Exactly. And every episode's about 30 minutes. So it's just enough to feel like, wow, I've, I've learned a lot today, but also like I can continue on with my life. And, you know, on culturedpodcast.com, I put a lot of work into the show notes. So mm -hmm. you have the option to go as deep as you want. You can listen to the 30 minute episode and be like, well, that was cool as heck. Move on with your life. Or you can listen and then follow it up with the show notes and find a slew of related links and resources that allow you to dig into what we were talking about a little bit more and just discover more about whatever the topic was. Mm -hmm. hmm. So you briefly alluded to your previous life as a uh, as an editor for a magazine. <laughs> so after high school and you you hung up your uh, white a grease paint and decided not to to pursue your love of uh, mime you went to college for did you so did you go to college then to be a journalist or how did what was the, the, the scope then after of, of high school to you being an editor for a magazine right so it was um a slightly winding road but okay. nothing crazy i went to school for pr so public relations. And I thought that was a good mix of writing and theater in that I could produce events and um, stories, I guess, but from a behind the scenes perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I enjoyed the idea of talking to journalists and spreading the word about different things. And then I also studied English literature and got a minor in German because I was just I just connected to German language and German culture. Mm -hmm. And so once I graduated, I had a job at a, an agency, a global agency called Edelman uh, Edelman and did PR there. Then I sort of my career led me into basically integrated marketing communications. So I would do internal marketing at one job and then. Uh, external PR or the next job might I was a consultant for a while working for myself uh, in PR and event planning and all these different sides of it. And then I went I moved to Atlanta a few years ago and became the PR manager for the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau. And that's when I really became intimately familiar with Atlanta as basically a person. So I learned Atlanta's history, the ins and outs of it, the personality of it, like everything, because I had to communicate it with journalists. And 
that was around the same time that I started realizing that PR wasn't doing it for me. Just just focusing on PR or communications wasn't really allowing me to flex my creative muscle muscle. And I'm a hyper creative. So I get very I feel very stifled when I don't get to dabble in all the things I want to play with. Mm -hmm. And so around that time is when I started taking journalists out on the road, you know, as I as it was my job to do telling them about Atlanta. And naturally, my curiosity arose about the journalist's life. And I started asking editors and writers and, and reporters, what's it like? And how do you like your life? And, you know, <laughs> I don't think any journalist, editor or writer is ever like, it's sexy and glamorous and the best because it's stressful. <laughs> You know, and um, and yet I still felt called to it. I was like, I that's I think I want to do that. And, you know, it's which is like so me, such a crazy person. And and so I met the publisher of Where Atlanta uh, at an event one day. And a few weeks later, she called me out of the blue and she was like, I have this editor position available. I think you'd be a good fit. And I was like, what? So it was very serendipitous. Uh, so I applied for the job and I got it. And so I spent a few years doing that. Interesting. So it wasn't, so the job was kind of created for you? No, it, it, no. it was all okay. serendipitous. It already existed, but the previous editor who was there for 15 years was leaving. And for whatever reason, this publisher just like had a sense that I would be a good fit. She didn't even know I had a long career as a writer. She only knew me as a publicist. Okay. And there's like a very specific form of writing associated with public relations that isn't creative or, you know, it's press releases, fact sheets, media alerts, uh, white papers, maybe, maybe some web content, depending on the job. Right. So I, I just found it so fascinating because it was real serendipity. That really... That was really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah that is. So it's, I, I'm, you have an interesting then take on on PR and marketing and, and that because of the fact that, you know, that you've worked on both sides of that uh, yeah. area. So what were some of the, let's say, pitches or or uh, times when, when, when you were an editor that uh, – PR people reached out to you that really made you want to talk about a story? And what were some of the things that they did that made you want to tear your hair out and uh, tell them to never contact you ever again? <laughs> oh, man, I have way more <laughs> stories in column B. <laughs> I, I assumed as much. Yeah, and I am um, – so now today, apart from being the host of the Cultured Podcast, www.culturedpodcast.com, I'm also <laughs> a PR and marketing consultant. And so that's really how – that's my bread and butter. Okay. And so I have this very interesting perspective because, A, I'm not the typical PR person. And if you're in the field, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're the typical PR person. <laughs> I still love you. Um, no judgment. It's just the thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not the typical PR person because I actually genuinely want to form relationships. So I'm not just interested in like selling you a story and then moving on and being like, thanks. All right. You're nothing to me now. But I also was a journalist. You know, I was an editor. And so I get to have this perspective on both sides. And it's been fascinating because being 
an editor was so important, not only in showing me that writing needs to be a part of my everyday life and finding stories has to be a part of my everyday life, but also it showed me firsthand what a lot of these editors I was interacting with in my younger years go through and why they might not answer your emails all the time <laughs> and and why they might be snappy sometimes. And it really gave me an inside look at how stressful it is to be an editor and how so many pressures are placed on you. And most companies, most media companies place a an exorbitant amount, a really unreasonable amount of responsibility and pressure on their editors. And so, you know, when I would get a publicist's job is to give you story ideas, period, and to build a relationship with you in a way where they know, okay, Michelle works for Where Atlanta. That's a travel publication that's in hotel rooms. So I'm not going to pitch her hotels because she doesn't. they don't cover hotels because I know that. But I'm going to pitch her these really cool events that what her readers would love. And then you pitch me maybe a roundup of a few events. That's That's the job. But what I would get instead would be an email that was like, hey, there's this new shop that opened out, uh, opened up in town. They have such an amazing story. You should cover them. Period. Um, who? What? When? Where? How? But most of all, why? <laughs> so, I, you know, in those situations, I wouldn't have the time to answer and be like, um, hi, what's the story? Hi, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I would just delete the email and move on because I had 50,000 other things to do that day. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was that definitely showed me like and that's like kind of an extreme example. But even those that were pitching me really niche things, give me a broader story idea. Give me a broader trend that I can write a whole article about because I'm not going to write a four page feature on your client. That's not of service to my readers. So that's um, I, I just I always knew that. And then I saw it in practice on the other side of the fence, which was really valuable. And then, you know, the people who did a really good job were the ones who I had real relationships with. Those were the ones that I could call at the drop of a hat and be like, hey, I need a photo for my cover. And I think yours would be, a, you know, your institution, museum, whatever would be a great fit. Can you send me photos within the next 30 minutes? And boom, they would send them. Or they would call me and be like, hey, we have these events coming up. What do you think about this? And I'm not taking calls like that from anyone. I'm taking calls from the people that I now trust and know are reliable. So those were the best things that I saw. Hmm, interesting. When somebody was, let's say, cold emailing you, pitching you ideas, were there certain subject lines or things in the body of the email that like, either made you very interested in opening it or you're like, no, I'm not going to open this because this is like obviously some kind of junk thing that somebody just came up with right now and sent it over to me? You know, that's that's an interesting question. I, I, I tried to open every email I got unless it was like, sexy girls in your area <laughs> like okay, so that's not, not today <laughs> internet satan <laughs> but um i think having a very clear subject line that's like if it's an invitation for instance to an event put mm -hmm. invitation colon okay. 
whatever it is. You're invited, colon, whatever it is. If it's uh, 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 announcing a new event or service or whatever, just clearly state it in the subject line because that saves me a lot of time and energy because I can look at it and say, okay, right away, I know that I'm interested in this and I want to click and read the email. Right away, I know I'm not interested in this. And you know what? Making it clear so that I know I'm not interested right off the bat is just as valuable as the opposite. And even though it doesn't give you your press hit, it gives you credibility and respect from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So I've so I've never been on that side of it, but as somebody who has owned a, a product and then had gotten many emails from either PR companies or other companies who want me to donate or hire them, like to, like to give them my bottled water. Uh, mm-hmm. years ago for their event or to hire them to do that they would send emails of like hey just following up from our conversation earlier or it was great meeting you last night and i was like um i didn't go anywhere last night what, <gasps> what? no no oh. <laughs> oh, no. like but i haven't met you why what's going oh. on so i was curious did that like did you get those kind of emails from people who are like you know like it was great chatting with you last night or high five from before that really had nothing to do with anything, but it made it sound like you guys had met previously. And then you're like lifelong friends who were supposed to catch up. No, I mean, I, I haven't gotten the, the mix up of like, so great chatting with you for an hour last night. And it's like, you got the wrong boo here, but I have gotten the way too familiar emails where it's like, you think you're building a relationship with me by being like, Hey girl, hope your day is going rad. And I'm like, (laughs) nice to meet you. Uh, So, and I'm a pretty familiar person, but I, Mm -hmm. in the, in personal settings, if I've met you and I want to know about you and, and I'm familiar in that way where I'm like, you're a human and you're interesting and everyone has a fascinating story to tell. And, and I'd love to learn yours, which can be a lot for people sometimes. But I'm never going to be like, what up, what up, what up, what up, you know, like all up in your face acting like we're best friends because trust and respect are earned. Mm-hmm. They definitely are. I, that's, although I'm going to start trying that. What up, what up, what up, what up emails. <laughs> To people now because oh I like that social yeah, experiment exactly we'll just see what happens if I just start pitching random things to people with what up what up what up I dig it yeah <laughs> so I want to hear more about your so your own journey from editor to what you're doing now mm-hmm. did you so when you when you were finishing up being an editor did you then just kind of jump in and then start your own PR consulting like the the other project you're working on right now. Did you do those concurrently when you were the editor? Uh, how did how did that kind of evolution work? So, like I told you, high stress, lots yeah. of anxiety in that job. Loved it. There were a lot of sexy parts of it, but I knew I had to stop doing it when I woke up in the middle of the night from an anxiety attack that just like pulled me out of my sleep. And I was like, I'm not a person, you know, I meditate daily uh, or almost daily and I am a very spiritual person, but I'm also a person who believes in protecting yourself above all else and protecting your own energy. And so I don't, I will never be someone who's okay with having anxiety attacks and just brushing them away. So I, you know, I used to have anxiety attacks when I was younger 
and was able to work through them. And then when I woke up in the middle of the night with it, I took it very seriously. And I said, I'm done. I'm not working a job that causes me to to feel this way. And so I at three o'clock in the morning that night, um, that morning, I formulated a plan and I created a full budget spreadsheet. And I saw I said, okay, if I have Zero business because I, I'm an entrepreneurial person, person as it is. Um, my first business was when I was four or 13. I started a dog walking business that started making a, a good amount of money and I got bored and, and gave it to my mom and she continued the business for 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't want to walk dogs anymore here. So, so you, you've exited from a company is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm basically Steve Jobs. Yeah. Um, except I wasn't pushed out. Ooh, awkward. Um, it's okay. I think he did well after that. He did. He, he, he rebounded after that. Yeah. Like a little, um, a little bit. So were you also, were you highly demanding to your employees and just like berate them? Yes. Every day. I didn't have employees, but, um, (laughs) just kidding. I would never treat my employees like that ever in a million years, but you know, whatever, every person's different. Um, so I'm an entrepreneurial person, back to the main point, and I knew that I needed to work for myself. It's always felt stifling for me to work for other companies, um, but I also think I've never found the right fit for me mm-hmm. and the way that I work within a company structure. So I decided in that moment I was going to go out on my own, and if I needed to drive Uber every day or Lyft every day of my life, then I figured out how long I needed to do that for every day. Mm-hmm. And realize that I live in a time, thankfully, where we have those options like ride sharing or Zifty or whatever. You have options. And when yeah. you are humble and you have that humility and modesty, nothing is impossible because driving for Uber or Lyft or working retail is not below or above anything. It is an option and it is a way to achieve what you want to achieve. And so I realized, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And so I gave a four-week notice. And in that time, I just started building my website and my business. And I started shouting from the rooftops of social media and telling all of my connections, you know, going to my network first because they are your advocates, like Mm built-in advocates. And I started telling them, I'm going out on my own. I'm going to be doing PR and marketing consulting, um, which has evolved mostly into uh, content development, which I'm really excited about like building websites and write, rewriting content for websites or writing content. So mm-hmm. just shouting that from the rooftops and the business started rolling in and I had a full client roster by the time I started on May 1st on my own. Wow. So you, so did you ever drive for Lyft or Uber or what you call it? Zafty? <laughs> Zifty is a, Zifty. is a food delivery service. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I've never done Zifty, but I did drive for Uber and Lyft. I think I drove two, I made two trips or something, or maybe like a, an hour before I left because I was like, just in case, let me start padding my wallet. Cause I had no savings, like, or, mm-hmm. you know, a minimal amount that would get me through just enough. It was a scary thing. It was definitely a leap of faith. Uh, and you hope and pray the parachute opens. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I did that right before leaving, and I haven't done it since. Oh, nice. I I have, so I, I drove for Lyft briefly when I first moved to Boston. Yeah. Mostly because I didn't know anybody, and I thought, oh, I could meet somebody or meet oh, some that's people. Smart. And, like hang out. Yeah. 
Uh, mostly it was like drunk college kids. <laughs> oh no! Did anyone throw up in your car? No, thankfully nobody threw up in my car, which they charge you extra if that happens. Uh, but yeah. I get a lot of like really stressed college kids, so I would play classical music and give them candy, and it was like oh, instant Prozac for all of them because they suddenly would like come in and they were high strung for something like going to a party or coming back, and then suddenly they were like instantly zend out like eating these candies these hard candies and uh listening to classical music i was like wow i think i've i've found the the uh the magic bullet that's amazing what did you put in the candies (laughs) (laughs) they were they were all (laughs) were there some warm were there's originals from an old man's pocket (laughs) butterscotch exactly (laughs) so you were going to like nursing homes and stealing old man's candies no, this is were, interesting. Like, this is a short was, story in the making. Really short story. No, it was well because I so I drove around Halloween two years ago, and so <laughs> it, was, it was all just random Halloween candy I would buy at CVS. And then the last time I drove was actually on Halloween night two years ago, because the amount of drunkenness and the weird people who got in my car in a two-hour period was like, I'm like this is enough. I I don't I don't need to do this every single day and deal with these these people who are absolutely like losing their mind on Halloween night because it's like Whoa. suddenly it gives you carte blanche to be a, a jerk and people think it's okay yeah it's so interesting yeah so I, I was like yeah I'm done I'm, so um yeah, wow and I haven't done it ever since Ooh, spooky <laughs> Am I forcing the spookiness onto this Halloween episode? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So, well, so it wasn't spooky, but it was like a little bit unnerving. There were these two Eastern European guys who got in my car around 1 a.m. And one of them was wearing a rubber horse mask. Oh, that's spooky as hell. So Uh -uh. that was creepy. And they were speaking Eastern European language, which, you know, in movie terms means that they are evil. Right. <laughs> because that's what we are taught in every single movie. If they if they're British or Eastern European, it doesn't matter that I'm Russian, they're still like up to planning something. Yeah, there's a nuke in their briefcase that's totally, like totally. handcuffed to their wrist. Totally is. So when they got in, a little bit creepy. They were really nice guys, but then one of the guys took off his horse mask and then put it on the back of my headrest <laughs> and started talking to it. No. And like then he started yelling at it and then slapping it. And I was like, I just, this is so like a little bit, I'm getting creeped out right now. And I, I'm usually really good about not reading too much into things and not being creeped out. But at that moment I was like, Oh my God, this, I just need to get these guys to their house because this is something is going to go down with him and his horse. And I don't want it to happen in my backseat. You know what they were saying? They were like, how funny would it be if you did? <laughs> exactly. Let's if we like this put American. this, yeah, he probably thinks we're creepy because of stupid American movies that position <laughs> us as villains every time. What if we just started punching and talking to the mask? He's going to be so freaked out. Oh my God. I, now that you said that, I, I really hope that's what they were doing. And they were just like, let's I really this think stupid so. American kid and, and we'll freak him out. Cause I would do something like that. That's something. <laughs> me a, too. A, inebriated me would totally do. Um, <laughs> Yeah. All right. So we'll see that. See, see context. Yeah. And it sounds was a little less creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think your reaction was spooky. <laughs> it was. 
It was. Also, being the sober guy at the drunk party, mm-hmm. not as not as much fun. No, and you know what? That's drunk. a great way to describe Uber. <laughs> it, it, yes. Driving for Uber is always like being the sober person at the drunk party. Oh, my God. Yes. Actually, now that you say that, that has been my entire experience. And it's yeah. Not, it's not fun being the being the sober who a sober adult is like, no, put that down. Nope, stop doing that. Nope, please don't poke at the window. Thank you. Here's some candies. Take a nap, please. No, man. I <laughs> take a nap. I'm telling you, something was in that candies. You're not telling us the whole story. <laughs> I, it is. It is. They were. They were. They came straight from the bag at the at the CVS. It was it melatonin. Just, it is. It's what it is. They were great. And it's again classical music. It is the ultimate. Everybody mm-hmm. relax. Yeah, it's true. Scientifically proven. It definitely is. So we got a little sidetracked on that one. So you, so you drove for a little bit. I'm so I'm curious about, you know, because you, you mentioned that you planned things out before you made the leap. But is that how you usually approach things that make you fearful or apprehensive? Like, do you make sure you have a plan in place so that, you know, you have got these contingencies planned out? Or is it, you know, a, a little bit of a plan and you're like, I'm just going to go for it anyway, and then we'll just see what happens? I'm a planner. So I have always, I grew up in a household where my mom was a very strategic person in her everyday life, like almost to like an exaggerated degree where we'd go to the supermarket and she'd be like, mm, how can I strategically get there the fastest? And I was like, mom, it's across the street. Like, just go the usual way. <laughs> you know, everything was like picking a line at the grocery store or picking this. It was, everything was like strategy. And so I think I learned some of that or inherited some of that from her. Um, and so I've always been a strategic thinker and I'm a Virgo. So if you know any Virgos or if you know astrology, you know, Virgos are very practical, analytical and methodical. And I am those things. And so I think I, I am a balance, though, between planning and doing because there is such a thing as over planning to the point where you never do because you're constantly like, well, well, this could happen. Well, that could happen. Well, and so it's like, yes, there's literally an infinite number of possibilities Mm -hmm. and quantum physics tells us this, right? Like every step we take, there are an infinite number of things that can play out. And so I, even with my clients, like when I'm creating strategic plans, approach it in the same way that I did launching out on my own, which was, thinking through every option, doing the research, making the plan and keeping the plan so that it's a good foundation, but a flexible one that you can build on top of in several different ways, which allows you to react and be flexible because nothing is a given. So that's the way I approached it. I did the research. I I set the foundation for myself and then I just barreled forward. Okay. And that's very interesting because I think that's, you know, a lot of people just kind of, um, I don't want to say wing it, but there's like this nebulous, this nebulous thing where they're not defining their fear or or thinking through a couple different things. And so when they just jump in, suddenly that fear can easily take over because they have not, they're not sure how to approach it. And it sounds like you already have a nice, um, at least methodical way of, of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And it allows you to frame fear as an illusion, right? And so fear is just this fleeting emotion. Like any other emotion we have, it's it's kind of just this thing that pops up. And I feel like we are all taught 
a lot of us are taught to have this extraordinary respect for fear. Like, oh my gosh, I feel fear. That means I shouldn't do it. And that's quite the opposite. Fear means you're getting out of your comfort zone. Fear means that you are not familiar with this new zone. And that is the perfect place to learn something new. That's the perfect place. If you can barrel through that fear, allow it to live there, but look it in the eyes and say, you're not going to own me and keep moving forward. And then you start striking gold. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you find the rainbow. With the the projects that you're working on and, and have done, you kind of have been going from one thing to the other. Was it mentorships that that are finding good mentors that helped you navigate from one area to the other? Were there books that you were reading that helped you with that, or how did you navigate from you know your career moves? Wow, that's a good question. And the only thing that popped into my head, which is pretty apropos of my answer is intuition. And so I, I'm very dedicated to listening to my inner self and my inner voice. And that's why something like meditation is so important because you learn how to hear yourself and yourself is constantly telling you like, that doesn't look like a good option, <laughs> you know, and, and, <laughs> or like, yas, do it. Yas. And, if we don't listen, yeah, my inner voice is pretty. So your sassy. inner voice is, yeah, exactly. It sounds much better than mine. Mine's a little more on the angry side. <laughs> well, like you can correct that. It might be angry because you're not listening to it. So it's like, Yuri, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, yes. Add in a little more like Tom Waits, bro, you know, gruff to your voice, yeah. an old man, and then you've got it. Mmm, that's one weathered inner voice. <laughs> Definitely. That inner voice it, has been through it. It, it, it smoked a lot in its younger <laughs> days. Mm, well, we got to do something about that, but yeah. that'll be offline. <laughs> got to call that inner voice. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it's really important. You know, like there was something inside of me while I was at while I was doing PR that was telling me explore journalism. There was just something inside of me. And so I started asking questions and I didn't back away from it. And it was confusing, you know, mm -hmm. so we're, we're measly humans. We are measly little humans and we, we think ourselves really brilliant. And in a lot of very practical ways we are, but man, do we not know emotional stuff very well? Like we, at least American society is pretty numb to the sensitive, energetic side of things. And mm -hmm. that's where real courage comes from, in my opinion. That's where leaps are taken. Mm -hmm. And so to allow yourself to hear these voices and to feel comfortable with discomfort and unafraid of fear has guided me. And so when I feel and I'm and a lot of people, you know, like my mom, she's old school Colombian chick and she's a lot of times not understood my career tra trajectory because I change and I will as the river flows, if there's a bend, I go with it and then I go with another bend. And so she's when I was going to go out on my own this time, she was like, I, I don't I don't know, like, you know, that protective mama instinct where she's like why don't you just like work for another company and you'll feel more stable there. And I'm like, that's just not what it feels intuitively right for me. My instinct is telling me jump. And so I did. So you're very in tune with your, you know, your emotions and your inner thoughts. 
ha, has that been something you've had to develop over the years? Does it just come more naturally to you? Mm. How is that, you know, because of the fact that you are so intuitive and so, I guess, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, at looking it's, in. It's been a difficult journey okay. um, because I, I never understood it. And so I think there's a lot of people out there who are, are like me where, you know, they're called, we're called not to get too, not to turn some people off, but we're called empaths. And so I pick up the energy surrounding me and it's, it's clear as day for me. So it sounds like mumbo jumbo to others potentially, but it's when I walk into a room, I feel it like a, a, a wall hitting me. When I meet a person who is inauthentic or negative or depressed, I feel their pain or their sadness or their inauthenticity or their whatever. You know, I feel that I feel all those things. So it can be very uncomfortable for me. And I never understood what that was. So there was a time like I, I touched on my anxiety when I was in high school. And that was all symptomatic of that and not knowing that I was absorbing like a sponge all of this crap going on around me and not knowing how to protect myself from it. And so that just got worse and worse and worse. And I, for a while, I was actually in a long-term relationship where I wasn't honoring my own voice. And so I was very much quieting my inner self and I felt stifled all the time. And I, I was like in this suburban reality that didn't fit me. It, none of it fit me. And I didn't know why I was constantly sad. And I didn't know why I was, felt so, I felt manic. I felt not manic, but bipolar. I, I would have these high highs and very low lows and it was very extreme and unhealthy. And so when I got out of that relationship and he was a wonderful man, it wasn't him. It was me not honoring myself. Mm-hmm. But when I got out of that relationship, I started the journey of getting to know me and I got out of it at 26. So, I, I mean, from 19 to 26 were all these years where I didn't do any of the discovery we're all meant to do. I just locked myself in this like cabinet of domesticity. And when I got out of it is when I started really exploring my inner self and I started learning about meditation and all of a sudden something just clicked. Oh, no, it wasn't all of a sudden. I met someone very special to me. And she's my spiritual sister. And I was telling her all these experiences I've had. And, and she made me realize that I am an empath, and that I need to protect my energy. And I started learning how to do so. And it changed my life, knowing myself and knowing how I absorb those things. And then all of a sudden, as I meditated and honored my own voice and spoke up about the things I wanted or didn't want, my inner voice has gotten clearer and clearer and clearer. What type of meditation do you do? Um, I don't do a type. I just do what feels right to me. Um, so I, I learned there's this wonderful center in Atlanta called the Kadampa Meditation Center. And so that ha- that's Taoist principles, I believe. And so I learned to do a couple techniques there, but then it's evolved and become completely my own. And so, you know, I'll go on YouTube and I will find uh, what are called solfeggio frequencies. Mm -hmm. And so the the concept behind solfeggio frequencies are 
very tied in with quantum physics, which is that we all vibrate. You know, we're all so super string theory is that we are all vibrating strings that are very we everything in the universe at its very, very, very most subatomic basic is a vibrating string. Mm-hmm. And so those vibrations, depending on the frequency at which they vibrate, you know, the length of the the wave at which they vibrate and how, how many, anyway, frequency, <laughs> they um, join and create different, different formations. And so that becomes matter in some instances. And so we all vibrate at different frequencies um, and, and the music, these solfeggio frequencies are music tuned to different frequencies of sound and they impact our bodies in different ways. And so they can be really relaxing. I don't know. There, it's nothing is proven about them. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's validity to it. I just know that they're ple- pleasant and I like them and they help me reach really deep levels of introspection and meditation. I, well, I think that's what matters the most on that one. Right. Yeah. So, for, so I'm gonna have to look these up. Is there so are there a particular type of uh, of these that you enjoy? Is it just like they're because I've not heard of these before. Yeah. So um, they um there's all sorts on on YouTube music, but mm-hmm. also on YouTube. And the ones that I like the most are like 528 is kind of the it's you know the quote unquote miracle tone or whatever, and it's okay. very cleansing. Um, but I also like to listen to like Tibetan bowls. It's when they take bowls and they make these like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, you know, I might record one because that was pretty good. Um. <laughs> uh, definitely. I think that's that's uh, it sounds very similar to the last one I heard. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I know. On. That was probably mine. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I also listen to Indian flute playing. So like either Indian from India or there's also native drumming, Native American mm-hmm. drumming. So really just I, you know, a lot of people recommend an app like headspace or something but i i think meditation is an exploration of self and what yourself falls into and it has a lot to do with trusting what feels right to you and so there is you know i do michelle meditation sure which i think is probably the best meditation for you (laughs) yeah (laughs) makes sense so so with your meditation and everything that you're doing do you have rituals or routines that you set your day up to i don't i might i might try incorporating those i've never been one for routine um but i've been interested in in trying it on myself actually recently so i might try it but routines always felt stifling to me so i just meditate when it feels like i need to and like i want to And usually that's every night before bed. And so I'm a person who who really enjoys crystals. And so I have my crystals. But one routine I have is to regularly cleanse my space with sage. And if nothing else, it just smells really good. But because Mm -hmm. of my own beliefs, uh, it makes a space feel so clear. So usually people walk into my space and are like, man, it's so chill in here. Like, I really love this. Yeah, this feels good. And people who are not spiritual usually walk in and are like, it feels good in here, you know? Because we all have it. We all vibrate. And we all feel yeah. vibration. Yeah. So with your, your sage, is that, um, and please excuse my ignorance on this one, is that like, a, a is there a candle that does that? Is it actual like, um, like a, a sage in a 
in a group and then you kind of light that? How does how do you do the sage? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. There's multiple ways. So the the sage itself is actual sage and there's different varieties of it. I use bundles of white sage and they're actually called smudge sticks or and it's called smudging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when. And when you smudge a space, it's when you are literally taking the smoke from some kind of a tool like sage or palo santo is another one. It's a wood that is not as sustainable an option. Um, so the harvesting of palo santo, it's, it's being over harvested because of the trend of spirituality right now or okay. what some consider a mass awakening of people who are kind of getting this more. But um, so, yeah, I use I use both. I But I use Palo Santo sparingly because of the harvestation or the over harvested issues. But um, white sage is my favorite. Oh, great. So do and, you just and do you just you just walk around in different parts? Do, do you say something? Yeah. So this is one of those things where everyone has their own way and whatever feels right is what you should do. But what I do is I focus on. I, and I repeat words like I'll walk or I'll light the sage and I'll walk around and just say like love, serenity, harmony, but I'll be within myself. I will, I will very much be focused and kind of meditative as I'm saying those words. So it's not just kind of like love, harmony, serenity, like health, like a lot of money, you know. <laughs> Although it would be funnier. It would be. It definitely would be. Could you record that and make that a meditation? Yeah. That's like an SNL skit. It totally is. You got to laugh at yourself. And I do like every day, all day. Um, so yeah, I, I'm very meditative in that process okay. and I'm, and I'm feeling the words that I'm saying in order to release that energy into my environment and, and draw those things into my life. How often do you do the smudging? I like to do it at least once a month. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not obsessive about really any of these rituals. Um, they don't rule my life. They're a part of me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I I like the idea. So again, I'm not very familiar with that, but I do like the idea of of like having a, a cleansing type of feeling in in your home. Right, exactly. In ways that like your cleaning service can't do or you can't do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm sure it's, it sounds like the and probably the smell is probably pretty good as well. Mm, I love it. I okay. love the smell of sage. Well, perfect. White sage. Yeah, white sage. Okay, I will look this up. Also, it probably should be really easy for me to find some because I live in Salem. And, uh, uh, right. At one of the many uh, witches stores, which they're actually called here, I could uh, probably find some. Definitely overpriced. Yes. Yes. What I would uh, recommend, though, is mm -hmm. um, if you walk into one of those stores and it feels eerie, creepy, off in any way, don't buy from there. Okay. That's a good thing to know. So, well, here's another question. And this, again, pardon my ignorance. Can you buy your sage at, like, um, Hobby Lobby? (laughs) Um, You can. Okay. No one's stopping you. I I like to go into shops run by people who know how to manage energy and inject good energy into things because it matters sure. to me. Um, and I think it matters all around. But again, it really life is all about what you believe. That's mm-hmm. that's the life you have is the life that you believe. And so just do whatever's right for you and whatever you believe in. And first and foremost, don't judge others for, for their beliefs, you know, whether you share them or not. 
So what I do and what I like to do is find a very good feeling spiritual shop. I have a couple in Atlanta, like Crystal Blue is wonderful. Phoenix and Dragon is my favorite, favorite, favorite. It's so wonderful where you walk in and you feel this like, oh, I feel so chill in here. You know, (laughs) that's that's how you want to feel. It's like loose and chill. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Is now does in that shop is everybody dressed in black? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, I say that just because so I have not been to some of these spiritual shops in Salem, but there's a lot of people who like to dress in black and have, wear a lot of black eyeliner. And so I'm just kind of curious if that that could just be like a Northeast Salem thing. I mean, I do that. I wear a lot of black. <laughs> <laughs> I wear black eyeliner, but all like time. not like running down my face as if I had been crying all day, but like you know, cat eye, cute stuff. I just yeah, look well, black. I'm not yeah. goth. I'm just black. <laughs> Something to aspire to, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so with everything that you've done and, and throughout your career, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? Speak your truth, probably. Or like honor your truth. Mm-hmm. That's that's the best advice I've ever received. That okay. can be applied to everything. And I think especially for women, it's really important because women in the U.S. are raised in this kind of like hostess environment where we have to always be smiling or entertaining or hosting in whatever role or environment we're in. And I I challenge my sisters out there to to stop that stop that facade i'm a very sunny enthusiastic person as you can probably tell Mm -hmm. and when i don't feel sunny or enthusiastic i don't force myself to anymore i'm just going to be me i'm going to live my truth and in the same way you know i i blocked my own truth for six years six and a half years and it was really really destructive to myself and i learned through a very difficult first half of my life, really, that that's never going to serve me. And just because it serves other people, it makes them feel more comfortable. That doesn't matter to me. I I will. I'm a healer in my own way. And I want people to feel well, but not at the expense of myself. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely wonderful. Um, so, Michelle, thank you for taking the time on this uh, on this day to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to find your podcast again and to read more about what you're working on where is the best way they can do that well thank you this was such a joy and so spooky (laughs) (laughs) if people want to reach out to me they can go to michellecorey.com you spell my last name a little differently so it's k-h-o-u-r-i that's michelle with two l's and an e at the end corey.com or you can look me up at culturedpodcast.com and i'm on all the socials either as michelle corey or cultured podcast so definitely find me on both because each channel has uh, its different vibe and different information. And um, more than anything, I want to hear what's inspiring everybody out there because I feature our listener inspiration on Cultured Podcast. Um, I'm going to start doing that moving forward. So that's really exciting. So you can email me at info at culturedpodcast.com as well. Wonderful. I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can just click right through. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, again, uh, enjoy your Halloween day, Michelle, and uh, thank you again for chatting with me. Well, thank you. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.